thought Ryan was going to have me break out into singing, and we didn't want that. So we'll go ahead and get started. It looks like the chilly morning is uh, working on us all. I was talking to my sister in Illinois. It's 40 below with wind chill this morning. I don't miss those days. So um, I, I wanted to just kind of pick up and we're, we're making a, a, a bit of a, you could say transition in, in this book uh, that Paul is making, but he's really just, as we've seen, he, he, he makes a deep theological point and then he begins to unpack it. Um, and he, he's going to unpack for us uh, really the, the comment that he makes in the opening of this passage about the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He's going to go right to that for the next couple of chapters. Um, but we ended last week in Ephesians, uh, particularly in Ephesians 2.10, where we, we find at the heel of this beautiful um, passage that we read from Ephesians 2.1 through 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which they have prepared beforehand so that we would walk right into them with our life. And I just wanted to take, a, take the morning um, and just unpack that a little bit as I, as I kind of thought about that passage and, and I've encouraged you and would continue to encourage as we're working through Romans <clears throat> Ephesians is just a wonderful companion of Romans. It really is. And we're going to see that a little bit this morning. But I wanted us to think a little bit this morning about having worked our way through this, this beautiful set of passages of Scripture from, from Romans 3.21 through 26, whereas we've seen Paul just concentrates just the deepest truths we could ever know about what the triune God has done to redeem us, totally apart from us. It's what they have done. But I, I wanted to stir up in our, our hearts this morning, and my, my note was, what are we to do with this wondrous section of Scripture to ponder what God has done, it really should provoke us to wonder why have they done it, but even more importantly, to what purpose and to what end. And that's where you begin to, to, to see Ephesians 2.10 and the purpose behind Ephesians 2.10, this workmanship uh, um, that, that we have become. And then, it, those of you who have not enjoyed the, uh, the wondrous work of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, or you haven't read of his life, or you haven't considered how the Lord saved him, the suffering of his life, but the wondrous impact that man had in the lives of orphans alone 
in a time when life was absolutely horrendous, particularly for children who were orphaned by the plague. I've read that his orphans cared for seven to 8,000 children. And, and um, it's just wondrous to think of how that man was used in so many ways. But as I was meditating all this, I came to this uh, morning um, devotional of Spurgeon, morning and evening. If you don't have it, you really should have it. He says this to open us up. His title was, I have prayed for thee. How encouraging is the thought of the Redeemer's never-ceasing intercession for us. When we pray, he pleads for us. And when we are not praying, he is advocating our cause. And by his supplications, shielding us from unseen dangers. Notice the word of comfort addressed to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But, Spurgeon says, but what? But go and pray for yourself? That would be good advice, but it is not so written. Neither does he say, but I will keep you watchful, and so you shall be preserved. That, too, would be a great blessing. No, it is, but I, says the Lord, have prayed for thee, that thy fail faith will not fail. He goes on to say, we little know what we owe to our Savior's prayers. When we reach the hilltops of heaven and look back upon all the way whereby the Lord our God hath led us, oh, how shall, how shall we praise him? Before the eternal throne, undid the mischief which Satan was doing upon earth. How shall we thank him? Because he never held his peace, but day and night pointed to the wounds upon his hands and carried our names upon his breastplate. Even before Satan had begun to tempt, Jesus had forestalled him and entered a plea in heaven. Mercy outruns malice. Mark, he does not say, Satan hath desired to have you. He checks Satan even in his very desire and nips it in the bud. He does not say, but I have desired to pray for you. No, but I have prayed for you. I have already done it, Peter. I have gone to the court and entered a counter plea even before the accusation was made. And then his exaltation, O oh, Jesus, what a comfort it is that thou hast pleaded our cause 
against our unseen enemies, countermined their minds and unmasked their ambushes. Here is a matter for great joy, gratitude, hope, and confidence. I just thought that was very helpful. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the warmth and the comfort to be amongst the saints and to be in the word of God and to be gathering together to exalt our Lord and our Savior. And I pray with one heart and with one mind and with one great desire, and that is to exalt you and you alone for all that you have done on our behalf and to the so much more that Paul so wonderfully teaches this life that we now live. We just praise you for that, Lord, and we just want to lift up your holy name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want us to think about um, and even dialogue this morning, if you're comfortable, um, if not, I, I have kind of a guide for us. Um, again, under what purpose has our triune God provided this righteousness of God, this justification of God, this grace in which we stand, this faith that has been given to us, this atonement through the imputation that we read about in this passage? producing this new creation that Mark talked about last week, where the old man is dead, as we read on in Romans 7. And I wanted to start by stirring us up from the Lord about unto what we have been saved and how we can see the markers of that work of God and the Spirit of God in us. In John 8, 31 and 8, 32, a very familiar passage Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. And as we've talked so many times, that is a belief that is not unto salvation. Or said a kind of a paradoxical way in our, our common way of thinking, that is an unregenerate believer right there. They believe, they believe something, but it is not a saving something. And therefore it is not Jesus Christ, it is something else that may have Jesus or their thinking of Jesus added to it, but it is not Jesus. He is not the sole object of their salvation. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So you see the provision, the word of God, and then you see the fruit of the triune God, which is truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Go to Ephesians with me. And the, the overriding question that we want to look at is, unto what purpose has God saved us? How are we faithful in all that they have done on our behalf? And Paul spends the first, you know, and second and 
beginning of the third chapters of Ephesians, just given us this glorious provision, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? And then he makes a shift in this passage in Ephesians 3.8. And he begins to lay out some of that purpose that God has given us. So let me just read this to us. In Ephesians 3.8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, and here it comes, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. And there is your clearest answer to this question. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known by saving otherwise hopeless sinners into that church so that they can now be sanctified through the word of God to then take that word of God out of the inner man and let it flow out to the outer man into the world that is lost using that word of God and rightly dividing that word of God for them because it is the word of God and the spirit of God together that brings this life about inside the dead sinner. To make it known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places, everywhere. The angelic realm, the earthly realm, all the heavens, right? This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, here's what I want you to zero in on. As I studied this and listened to a couple of wonderful sermons, and in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And I, I would ask just to open up, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. What does that mean? Just, just what does that mean? What are the things that come to mind? A childlike faith. Yeah. Grady? 
Yeah, so that's the other side is Mark's talking about how wonderfully the Spirit of the Lord and this wondrous work that they do in us just it's the living water of John 7 37 and 8 right you just want to pour it out we got to do that in the prison together right where they couldn't run <laughs> right Grady's talking about the other side of that which is we get to go right into according to the writer of Hebrews the throne room of God without shame without reservation with reverence because again we are covered by the blood of Christ, by the work of Christ. The Father has accepted that sacrifice on our behalf and therefore accepts us right into that throne room of God, right? Do you find yourself in that kind of prayer? We should. I was this morning over some dear friends that uh, you just... You just you have to go right to the throne room and leave them there with him. All right. Yeah. a great picture right and I, I find that is a beautiful picture of a welcoming father and Trev I would do that you know this afternoon to surprise him with a big big old jump in the lap that'd be kind of fun but but there are also some of us who grew up not with a father earthly father like that and and I have found such wondrous joy in the fact that I have a heavenly father who is every bit of that and so much more right in both those situations it's a beautiful beautiful image right Anything else? So Paul begins to unpack this passage. Slip down to verse 16. And you'll see why this is such a wonderful companion of the book of Romans, this Ephesians 3.16. It says that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power. And you can go right back to the way he opened the letter. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is what he's talking about. How much more powerful can it get than to know that you have every spiritual blessing? and the heavenly places. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? And the reason is that for a variety of different reasons, we don't appropriate what we already have been given. And that is that ought to be the tension of every one of us as believers, is to know, to say it in a rather simple way, we are leaving so much 
on the table that our Lord has appropriated for us in this life. All right? Power through his spirit. And I want, you, want us to pay attention to this, right? In your inner being. Now, this is very material to the book of Romans because Paul's going to take us through the, the inner man, the outer man, the old man, the new man, and this Romans 7.14 that just sounds like a bipolar <laughs> struggle that Paul's having, right? It's the struggle between the inner man and the outer man that is going to mark our lives till the day we die. And if we don't understand that biblically, we are not going to have this boldness. We're going to cower. In some cases, in unbelief that I'm even a believer because I can't seem to get rid of this sin in my life. I get rid of one and here comes another, right? This is all part of the working out of our salvation that will not be complete until we get to glory, right? And wherever you are in that sanctification curve, you're going straight to glory the moment you go to stand before the Lord, right? How sweet is that, Miss Judy? Through the inner man, and then Paul launches into a series of kind of very important elements of this, this passage. That we may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So there's one element of this. That you being rooted and grounded in love is another element of this. Rooted and grounded in love. Does that set of words make you think about another passage? Makes me think about the parable of the souls. They had no what? Root. They had all the outward manifestations of religion, but they had no root. What is that root? It is the love for Christ that God puts in us. In all of our struggles through this sanctification, that, that's the bellwether. Do you love me, Peter? What Grady's been teaching us about, the centrality of the divine work is an unnatural love for Christ and a desire to know him as completely as we possibly can through the means by which they've given us and preserved and protected. Rooted and grounded in love, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So there's everything there is to know and we should have an insatiable desire for that. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses 
Knowledge, Mark, there's that childlike faith. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And as we get older, that knowledge we've acquired begins to diminish, doesn't it? Dr. MacArthur talked about this in a sermon I watched this week from two years ago. And he reflected on how when he was young, it was so hard to rationalize this passage because he had such struggle with the inner man. But physically, he was strong and he was mentally healthy. As he's found, the older he gets and the weaker his body gets, and if you look at him two years ago to today, you see a dramatic shift in his outer man. He says, the more weak, the more feeble this body becomes, the more I anchored in the love of Christ I am. Because that flesh is being put to death until it dies, right? And that's much of what Paul will unpack in this. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That was Paul's supreme desire for the church and should be ours, right? So this is to unto what have they done all these things for us. And Paul just adds Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And you have to ask right there, how's the church doing if it is to him be the glory? Thankfully, when you look at the next set of passages that came to my heart on that question, you realize um, that this is very much part of the not yet, but will be. Because when you get to Revelation 4 and 5 and you get to that throne room, and you see the worship that's going on, you realize that the worship that we are called to here will finally be realized when we get there. And all this outer mess is finally gone, right? And this is this upward call that we're constantly called towards in the struggle and the battle against Sin. Anybody have any thoughts they want to share on that? Anything come to mind? Go to John 17 with me. And let's just take a look at some of this 
basis by which Paul, through the Spirit of God, can say we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we know John 17 is that high priestly prayer. We know that it is on the very door of the cross, and it is obviously an anchor for all of us in so many ways. But I want to just pull a couple of passages in this thought of what resources we have in our journey to glorify Christ through this inner man and ever increasingly through the outer man, right? Because that's very much what's going on in every one of our lives right now. The inner man is being built up through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, as we are in the Word of God, and that is the exhortation for us. And as we are building up that inner man, the Spirit of God will begin through providence and our own building up, using that in our outer lives, in the people we encounter, in the discipleship, in the witnessing, in the behaviors of our own life, right? There's a very practical picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And this is why we can be sure that that's taking place. Look at John 17, 9 and through 11. Jesus says, just like for Peter in Luke 22 that Spurgeon referenced, I am praying for them. And Jesus' prayer for Peter was, but I have prayed for you so that when you return to me, you will go, right? That prayer was effectual before Peter even stumbled. Isn't that comforting? This is Jesus' beautiful intercession that we talked about. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, this beautiful, beautiful harmony in the triune God, for they are yours. Look how serious Jesus is about the saints. They're the fathers. And though we are sinners in need of a Savior. We, in a very real way, are the precious gift of love from the Father to the Son who will eternally worship the triune God because it is the Son who provided the perfect sacrifice of himself to redeem that bride, those saints, on behalf of the Father, which is why the resurrection was the Father declaring that he accepted the sacrifice on our behalf. So Jesus is praying for them because they are those whom the Father has given him. For they are yours, Father. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. So here comes part of our responsibility as the church. I am coming to you, Holy Father, and here are just precious, comforting words. words. Keep them in your name. Tell me how much more secure you can find outside of that. Keep them in your name, Father, which you have given me. That Listen to this, that they may be one even as we are one. Think about that. What does that speak to? What are they ultimately going to accomplish with the redeemed? Perfect unity. Now think about that as we consider our church life and church experiences and the struggles with the outer man's times 10,000 sinners saved by the grace of God and how much disunity exists today from church to church, from within churches. Wound after wound after wound after wound on the body of Christ. Yet, they will bring it all to a close in perfect eternal unity and worship. And it is locked in the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ to the Father. Right here in this. So there's unity in the church. Look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And there was Spurgeon's devotional. John 17, 17. Sanctify them, set them apart in the truth, for the word is the truth. This is the means by which the Spirit of God sanctifies us. It is pouring the word of God, rightly understood, into the inner man so the Holy Spirit through providence can pull it right back out or push it out, right? And then look at verse 22 in this passage. This is just wondrous. The glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them. That's right up there with what I asked you last week. Grady, do you feel perfected? Do you feel this glory that we've been given, right? Let that be in that inner man. Because if it's in that inner man, it's coming out, right? It's coming out. It can't be contained. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may, and here it comes, be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. And I know we think about being in, no one can snatch us out of our Lord's hand. Part of that is because the hand of our Lord has the hand of the Father. We're all wrapped up in the triune God. That, that's the beauty. Why do you think Paul says so many times, we are in Christ, we are in Christ, we are in Christ. We're not out there as attachments. We have been brought into Christ, which is wrapped in this triune love. 
that will glorify Christ on earth and in heaven for eternity, right? That's why we've been saved, right? This is why the scriptures say it's to their praise and to their glory, and we are just the workmanship created in Christ Jesus to now go do that with joy and reverence for what they've done. That they may become perfectly one so that the, here's a continual message throughout this entire passage, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And there's the love of the Father. The love of the Father when the child was, as Paul unpacks in Romans 8, a hostile enemy, right? It's why we love them, because they first loved us. It's that love that shattered the hostility by looking at what they did through Christ so that we could be saved unto the glory of Christ and the constant glorying in Christ throughout our life. This is the so much more that Paul's talking about, right? And I just wanted to stir this up in our hearts um, as we carry on. So I mentioned the passage from Hebrews last week. Look at Hebrews 10, 14 again. And again, what have they saved us unto is the theme all throughout this morning. Hebrews 10, 14 really states this both positional and ongoing work of the triune God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is the already but not yet, right? This is the other piece. When we're battling against that body of death, that body of sin, those impulses, those temptations, those giving overs and giving ins, right? Scripture in the Spirit of God wants us to say, as Lloyd-Jones says, but I have already been perfected in heaven. You can't defeat me. And it allows us to go after those sins, one after another after another, right? They continue to float around in our life, right? And that's really the just what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. And here, I think, is one of the most helpful passages to capture this tension. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16. And I know, boy, there are days where this is just, like, very real. Second Corinthians 4, 16. Pretty good one to memorize in our ongoing battles and struggles and sojournings. 
especially as we get older and older. So we do not lose heart. There's the first point. Though our outer self is wasting away, right? That's the fall. That's the constant reminder of the fall. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Notice how he doesn't say, and we're renewing our inner self day by day. No, it is the Spirit of God compelling us into the Word of God and building up that inner man so that even if we're laying on our deathbed, that inner man is being strengthened, though the body of sin is being put away, finally. Not a wondrous thought, right? Yes, sir. We're, as a whole, different kind of fear. Yep, yeah. That's why I wanted to do this study this morning, precisely. Right. So... So let's take Ryan's thought. What do we do with that situation? Uh, not assuming that Ryan and I aren't the only two that have been attacked like that, right? What do we do with that situation? Literally, what do we do? Confess it. Take it right to that throne room, right? Let's talk about that confession a little bit, right? It's often well thought of as repentance. Remember what we talked about repentance? It is to think rightly about God first, which then helps us see our sinfulness second. What is the right way to think about God as we walk boldly into that throne room of God? And your point is, are we walking boldly in there? Are we kind of walking cowardly, like, Lord, please don't take away from me everything you've given me? Right? What is the right thinking that we've been taught up to this point that is the antidote that allows you to walk right into that throne room boldly under that kind of temptation? What is it? We have to have this. Or we're going to be on the mat all the time. We're going to be down on the mat all the time if we don't have it. What is it? It's not a trick question. Sorry? Yeah, he's interceding already before that temptation even came. Peter, Luke 22, exactly. What else? Yes. 
Right. So, so talk about that a little more. Nancy, give him one of these. Right? Yes. Which means what? Therefore, there is no condemnation, period. You've got, that's what you've got to grab hold of in this battle. That's what I've got to grab hold of in this battle. There is now, Lloyd-Jones, but now there's no condemnation. And it's not like this. It is settled, Kiana. That's right. Justification. What else? Does God look at you and see that sinful Kiana? What does he see? The righteousness of Christ that is your righteousness from Christ. You see how important that is? These are the things that allow us to go boldly into the throne room of God because they're the ones who did it for us. Why wouldn't they welcome us into it? Which is exactly Jesus' point in that high priestly prayer. Right? And the best answer to I'm not worthy is amen. That's the nip that in the bud right there because that's the thought he's trying to build out of us. That's why every religion that is not true religion is a religion of I have to figure out a way to make myself worthy to stand before a holy God. And it is not in us to do that. It has been imputed to us from outside of us, right? So important in, in that battle. So let's do this. Let, let's, um, let's just pause right there with this thought. The strength of the inner man is the determinant of the outer man and his behavior his visible life. Just as we've been talking, if we are weak in the battle against sin, we have much lack in the inner man. We're not thinking rightly about what God has done. Right then and there, we're not thinking rightly. So when that happens, when we fall because of the accusations, we need to go back to the truths of Scripture and get that inner man clear on what God has done and the fact that there is now no condemnation. And we are headed for glory. We are being sanctified through all of that to the glory of Christ because we keep getting up and going upward and forward through sanctification, right? That's what they've done for us. That's what they want us to know and to trust so that we can glory in Christ and we can allow the world to see the glory of Christ in his work in us. This always shows up when we are tested by God. Always. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. So that by what? Testing. 
you may know what is the good and perfect will of God, right? To drive us back to the word of God and to get anchored in the truths of God so we can boldly go into the throne room of God, right? So we'll finish up next week and pick back up on uh, Romans from there. Thank you, guys. Welcome.